The scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. In your pew Bibles, that is page 1040. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you the light. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Have you ever wondered if all the things that people say Benjamin Franklin said and did, have you ever wondered, did he really do and say all those things? I kind of think the same thing when I read all the quotes from Abraham Lincoln. Could a guy really say that many pretty clever things? Well, the truth is, they didn't say and do all that they are credited with. Both of them are tremendous guys, but if you go back and do research on a lot of the things that these guys are credited with, uh, it's just not exactly right. For example, oftentimes you'll hear individuals say about Benjamin Franklin that he was the one that invented the streetlights. Well, he wasn't. But he was one that decided to perfect the street lamp. You see, the typical street lamp of his day was lit at night, obviously, and by morning it was already completely darkened with soot. The globe was completely darkened with soot. Obviously, it wasn't very efficient, and there had to be a better way, Benjamin Franklin believed. And so in Benjamin's own words, this is what he said that he did for the street lamp. He said, I therefore suggested composing them of four flat panes with a long funnel above the to draw up the smoke, and crevices admitting air below to facilitate the ascent of the smoke. By this means, they were kept clean and did not grow dark in a few hours as the London lamps do, but continued bright till morning. You know, when we think about one of the greatest challenges of our Christian life as a whole, a major challenge of Christianity is to not grow dark again. In the text that we just had so capably read for us by Ray, did you notice in Ephesians 5 and 8 it says, for you were once darkness? Notice the word once there. There is a tremendous struggle and even defeat in my life this morning if I have been in darkness more times than I have been in light. Our goal is to say, I was in darkness once, and then I came to the light. But what's so easy for us to do is to become darkened and clouded by the darkness again, and leave the light and start living as we are in the midst of the world again. It's a challenge that none of us will conquer unless we are aware of it. I'd like for you to notice as we think about this, notice the phrase where, again, in Ephesians 5 and 8, where he says, you were darkness. How do you define darkness? Now, maybe we immediately think of something like, well, it's a place where I can't see anything. But that is really not the definition of darkness. That would be describing how you feel in the darkness. What is darkness? 
Of course, the easiest definition of that is the absence of light. And so we say here what Paul was writing. He says to those people, you were darkness. I need to let that set in for just a moment because it's really powerful when we look at him saying in there in 5 and 8, you were darkness, but then he says, you are light. He's saying you literally were these things. You weren't acting like these things. You were as we think about the challenge of, the, of literally being darkness, I'd like for you to think about the setting as we've been studying through Ephesians. Just briefly, if you have your Bible open, look back in the fourth chapter in verse 17. Remember, this is where he was urging us, don't walk in the futility of our mind as the Gentiles. In other words, he is offering not only uh, teaching, but great encouragement to say, you were this. You walked like the Gentiles. But later on in that same paragraph, he says, now learn Christ and become something else. If you look, for example, in 25, 26, 27 and following in the fourth chapter, he gives specific examples. If we were darkness, we would lie. But now that we're truth, now that we are walking in light, we're to speak the truth. Or the example in in 28, if we were walking in darkness, we would still But now that we are walking in light, we need to work, still no more, and even give to others. He talks about that as it relates to bitterness and forgiveness and words that tear individuals down and words that literally edify or build individuals up. You see, there's a tremendous difference. We either are darkness or we are light. And so he's writing to a group of individuals now coming into the fifth chapter and saying... If we're going to leave this behind, let's imitate God. And we studied this a couple of weeks ago. So now we are to walk in love. And so that's the previous paragraph to the text that was read this morning. So now we're no longer futile in our mind. We're no longer practicing these activities on a daily basis that are sinful. Now instead, we're imitating God. Instead, we're walking in love. And now this morning, in this paragraph, he's using something that we can understand so well because from the time we were children, we understood the difference in dark and light. It'd be interesting to hear individuals tell stories about some of you probably were afraid of the dark. And a lot of the time, once you become an adult, you look back on some of those arguments that you had in your house about which light was going to be left on or the fear that you had and how maybe you'd cover up your head at night or or whatever it was. From a very young child, we understand the difference in darkness and light. And so now he teaches using this to say, we once were that darkness. How did we leave that darkness? Let's mention 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 9, just very quickly. If you want to turn there, but I'd like to just reference it very quickly here. Notice he said in 2 and 9, you are a chosen generation. Again, he's talking about who they are. Now notice they're also a royal priesthood, a holy nation, their own special, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. Notice this who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. How did we leave that darkness? There's only one way we can leave that darkness, and that is to come to the light. But now what's interesting, and I want us to see tying into this, when we come to the light, we literally are to become the light. If you can imagine hunting for a lost child out in the woods, and as you're hunting, it becomes completely dark. 
and you do not have any source of light. And so you either go and you find someone that has a light that's coming along with you, or you go and you find a source of light, and now you go back. The difference of hunting for someone or something where there is no light and where there's light, it's a difference of, sometimes we say it's a difference of daylight and dark. It's a difference that is so drastic. Now think as you're calling out to that lost child and you hear the child, but maybe you can't see the child and you say to the child, come to the light. Just walk to the light. Friends, that's what God is doing with us every day. If you are here this morning and you are living in darkness, the Lord has shown His light to the world. Jesus is the light. He has shown the light and He is calling. He's inviting, come to the light. He wants to save us. He wants to rescue us. He wants, now this is powerful for today. He wants to transform us. He wants to help us change us so that we were once darkness, but now we are light. With that in mind, I'd like for you to notice again the next slide. Ephesians 5 and 8. We've been looking at this uh, all morning, but notice again that next phrase, but now you are light. Notice here, he doesn't simply say, you reflect light. Now, I think it's a, it, it is a good analogy to use in some of the scriptures, uh, the way that we are taught. You, you've heard me use it. I'm sure you've heard it several times where we use the example of Jesus Christ as the sun and we are like the moon. It has no source of light on its own and it reflects to the world, the love and the light of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful analogy. That's not what is being taught here. What is being taught here is when we come to the light, because the light lives in us, we literally become a source of light. He's not just talking about, I want you to figure out a way to shine like Jesus shines. He's saying, I want Jesus to become a part of you. You see, in our analogy of the sun and the moon, the only way I guess we could illustrate that is to say, literally, if you watch the sun move into the moon so that the, the light of the sun was shining through the moon, that's what the Lord is looking for. That's exactly what He's teaching here. You were once in darkness, but now you are light. So walk in the light. How can this be? Notice the next slide as we look to John, the 8th chapter. I'd like to remind you, and if you want to turn to John 8 and 12, I'd like to remind you, this is the end of the story of the woman who was caught in the midst of adultery. And you remember, in this story, there were those that wanted to deal harshly with this woman. There were those that wanted to show no mercy. Keep in mind, what is Jesus? Jesus is the light who is constantly calling people out of darkness. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yes, there will be those on the day of judgment that will be condemned. The scriptures absolutely teaches that. But as we are alive, the Lord is saying, I've come to pull individuals out of darkness. He didn't want to stand and just point fingers and tell people how they had no hope. And so here's this woman that was caught in the very act of sin. And others were very quick to say, we want to destroy her. And he was very quick to display mercy and grace and to suggest to her that she could have forgiveness if she would respond to him. Do you remember that he said in 11, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. At that moment, that woman had to make a decision. 
Am I going to get up from here? And am I going to become a new person? And I'm going to stop living the life that I've been living. And I'm going to start living a new life. And I'm going to stop living for whom I've been living. I've been living for myself. I've been living for whatever passions move me. But now I want to get up and I want to walk away from here. And I want to live with the light of Jesus Christ shining in me. Now it's after that that we read verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What's offered? Well, we see that change of conduct. He is, imagine here's Jesus. He is the light. Now, those that are going to follow after him are going to walk in the light. It's, there's definitely going to be a change of conduct. But notice also he closes 12 by saying, but have the light of life. They have something in their life. In other words, the source of their light is Jesus living in them. As we look at that first phrase there in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. If you'd like to be turning to Matthew Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 14. And, and you'll see it here on the slide. And, and it's really neat to see it here on the slide because it's so obvious how what Jesus is, he's calling us to become. You see there again at the very beginning of John 8 and 12 where Jesus says, I am the light in the world or the light of the world. Now notice how Matthew five fourteen starts. You are the light of the world. You see how we are to become lights. How can that happen? Jesus living in us. Jesus, who are you? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Jesus, what do you want me to become? I want you to become a light of the world. Now, as we continue reading this, he he gives us the analogy of the light and how a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know how you can see a city for miles and miles in a distance at night. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. One little source of light can light the whole room. One source of light can be seen by so many. The Lord says, I came as one to light the world. I want you to be a light so that you can light the world. And now, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. But now notice the purpose of this light. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our light shines. Where this light come from? It's because Christ is living in us. It's, it's not us. It's the Lord living in us. Does it change us? Does it transform us? As Romans 12 and 2 teaches, yes. We walk a new way. We have become a new person. But it's because we have responded to the call where the Lord is inviting us to come to the light. As we think not only about the Lord being the source of our light, I'd like for you to also think about that He is the standard of our light. When we go back to our text of Ephesians 5 and 8, notice as He says about our walk. He says, walk, this is at the end of verse 8, walk as children of light. Now what are children of light going to produce in their life? In other words, what's the standard? It's important for us to have a standard in our life that is not our emotions and our feelings. Let's repeat that. It's important for us to have a standard in life that is not our emotion or our feeling. There has to be something from God that is the standard in our life. 
John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy word, thy, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. We have a standard of truth that's given to us of God. And that must be the standard by which we say, should I do this? Should I not do this? If I am walking in the light, I'm not my own standard. Well, i tell you what, I, I feel like God would really think this was a good thing. Well, that's good. No, that's not good. You know why? I don't trust your feelings with my soul. And it would be a shame if you trust your soul with your feelings or with my feelings. Or what if we trusted our soul with our own human wisdom? Well, I'm pretty sure that this is what God would want us to do. Well, I'm not willing to stand on the day of judgment based on what you're pretty sure about. I'm not willing to stand on judgment based on what you are sure about, if it's your human wisdom. Friends, we have to come back to something that is divine. Jesus and His light. Think about the word to enlighten. He gives us truth. Now we are enlightened with the Word of God. And when God is enlightening our way, then we have something that we know is truth. As we see the three things here that he would set out, by no means would, would we think that this covers all the details. But here's three broad principles. As we look back to our text, notice the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what is produced in a life where Jesus is the standard of that life is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And it's interesting how these three fruit uh, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit tell us so much, obviously, about God also. We, a tree, bears fruit after its own kind. That's been so ever since the very beginning in Genesis. And so we look and say, well, if we are shining like Jesus shined... The fruit that was produced in Jesus' life ought to be produced in our life. Well, when we think about the goodness of God, we learn that one aspect of the goodness of God in Romans, the second chapter, is that His goodness is what offers His long-suffering for us to have the opportunity to be saved. Do I show long-suffering in my life? That is a part of the fruit of goodness that we're patient with others, that we long for others to be saved and that we serve them in such a way because that is the goodness that comes out of a light that is sourced by the light, Jesus Christ. Uh, now notice also not only the goodness, but notice the righteousness. Romans 1 and 17, we learn that the righteousness of God is revealed in the Scriptures. And so we see all the things that are right. That takes us also back to the truth where it is the truth that not only has been revealed to us, but also there in that same uh, text in Romans, the second chapter, in verses 1, 2, and 3, he even talks about that truth being the standard that we will be judged by on the day of judgment. That brings it full circle, if you will. Why do I want to be light? Why do I want the source of Jesus being my light? Why do I want the source uh, or the, the standard of Jesus being my light? Because on the day of judgment... That's the standard by which we'll be judged. But I'd like for you to notice one more thing as we go back to our text. Look there in Ephesians 5, the 5th chapter. And notice as we go beyond the parentheses there in verse 10. Ephesians 5 and 10. The New King James says, Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Another translation might say, Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. This is a biblical teaching concept that we see in various places. And to me, it is so interesting. 
I feel like I understand it, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the teachings of the Scripture that the longer we live in a close relationship with God, the more this passage will just become uh, just clearer and clearer. Do you see what he's saying there as he says, finding out what is acceptable, proving what is acceptable? Have you ever thought about your need to prove God's word? Someone says, oh no, preacher, I, I believe God's word. I don't have to prove it. Oh, yes. All of us here should be in the business of saying, I'm living my life to prove that God's word, every word of it, is true. Do you believe that those who tell the truth will be blessed? Now, we won't ask for everyone to stand up in public confession right now, but I'll ask you this. Did you tell a lie any time last week? Maybe a little bitty lie. Maybe you just didn't tell the whole truth so that you could be deceptive. Did you tell a lie last week? If you lied one time last week, when it comes to the teachings about telling the truth, you did not prove the Word of God last week in your life. In other words, what you did do is you said, I know what God teaches, and I'm not proving it in my life. You can't watch me live and prove through my life that God's way is righteous. That's a challenge, isn't it? The Word of God is our standard, but watching a Christian live gives proof. I've heard many versions of this little story, but it's short. I love it. Surely it's true. A fellow was looking at an older lady's Bible, and he noticed that beside so many passages was T and T. Just beside the verses in the margin, T and T, T and T. Naturally, curiosity why do you write that in the passage, the margin of your Bible beside the passage? I don't, I don't understand that. What, what is T and T? She said, tested and tried. You see, that was her way of saying that was God's command. I lived it, and I can tell you because I lived it. It was a blessing in my life. Friends, if, if whenever we know God's will and we submit to our own standard, our own source, not the source of life, we have not tested God, we've tested ourselves, and we're going to find out that we failed the test. Here's the way it's said in Romans, the 12th chapter. In Romans, the 12th chapter, where he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice, this again is a transformation. We literally become the light of Jesus Christ because Jesus is living in us. When we become that light, what's going to happen? We're going to prove what is good and acceptable the perfect will of God. On this next slide, we see references to the life of Noah. Noah has to be one of the greatest characters of faith to ever walk the face of this earth. I don't guess we know of any character who did what he did in the sense of him being the only one 
that decided to prove the righteousness of God on the world in His day. Can you imagine living where you can't gather with a congregation of people like we do on Sunday because there's nobody else except you and your family that believes in God? Can you imagine traveling around your community and around the state and there's nobody else that has a commitment to God the way you and your family has a commitment to God? Friends, in Noah's day, he proved the righteousness of God. He proved it in a spiritual way that was very obvious in a physical way. Because you remember, he went around and he preached righteousness. Can you imagine maybe some of his relatives... One of them might have even been Methuselah. He was definitely a relative. It might have been one of the ones that he was preaching to, his grandfather. Can you you imagine him saying, Granddaddy, repent, turn back to God, and get on this ark. Come and be saved. Serve God again. Can you imagine the neighbors that he had all of his life and now a man is nearing 600 years old. The ark is nearing completion. He knows by faith that the flood is coming. No one else would respond to God's word. That's why when we read in Hebrews the 11th chapter, almost a startling description The first part we know well from the Scripture. The last part challenges many of our thinking. Look at Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now that part of the story, we know it. We understand it pretty easily. But do you understand this last part of this verse? By which he, talking about Noah, condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Friends, how did Noah condemn the world? He proved in his life God's word was true. And all of those that died in that flood that day, they proved that God's word was true, but they proved it in their rebellion. They proved it as they were lost in condemnation. You know, the Scriptures teach us very clearly that we're going to have many around us that are called the world. And the world is going to hate those of light or those of righteousness. Have you ever thought about why the world truly hates Christians? I'm sure there'd be many reasons, but one reason is because the closer someone in the world forms a relationship with someone who is truly a child of God, the righteous actions of the child of God continually reminds the one of the world their sins and their separation from God. That person has to be reminded of the fact I either need to change my life or... I'm going to be condemned. And people that have no desire to change their life, they have no desire to be reminded of that on a daily basis. Friends, I'm not suggesting to you that you and I go around and stiff-arm the world and, and that we look down in an arrogant fashion, but I will suggest to you this. 
If you have friends out in the depths of the world and they're just as comfortable around you as they are anyone else, you might need to evaluate whether or not you really do have a light because the world has always found a level of discomfort because the righteous actions of the light reminds them of their sin. We were once darkness, but now we're called to be light. Jesus is the source of that light. As we walk in that light, there's fruit, there's a standard that must be produced. And we have a responsibility to test, to see, am I really proving that I am a light? All the wonderful songs that we've already sung this morning and we sing about this little Christian light of mine. Am I really shining for the Lord? This morning, from this passage, we need to be reminded of who we were, but who we are to be, and to make sure that we're proving that each day. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins so that you can become a Christian light, we'd urge you to realize that it's not something that you do once and, and you make, and you make uh, some kind of decision or, or you take some kind of action in your life, and, and then after that, you go right back out into the world to live the way you've always lived. That's not God's call. God's call to the light is to say, do you want to step out of darkness and do you want to become the light to the world? If you're ready for that kind of commitment, if you're ready to be saved and live the Christian life as a believer willing to repent and confess, won't you be baptized this morning? Maybe you have been that light in the past, but you can't say that I was darkness once. Maybe now you have to say, I was darkness twice. Friends, That beautiful story of the prodigal son is the fact that the Lord invites those that have been in darkness twice to come home twice. However many times you and I have been in sin, as long as there is life in our body, God is inviting us to be in light that many times. Let's make sure that we all leave here shining. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.